This is Radio Maria, a very warm welcome. I'm Edmund Zengeni, and this is Credo. And today we have continuing his series on the fear of the Lord, very interesting topic and series. We have our dear friend Derek Williams, who shall be continuing his series. And today's focus will be on the Torah. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Eddie. This is an early slot. I'm not used to this. I'm still haven't cleaned my teeth yet. Are <laughs> you still waking up? <laughs> yes. That's right. It's um, a slightly, yeah, and, and slightly different schedule a, today, yeah. It's the graveyard shift as well. This is when people are normally falling asleep. I get it. <laughs> yeah, if I'm giving a live retreat, the afternoon slot is the one you don't want to be doing. You think, okay, what can we get people to do at two o'clock in the afternoon after they've had their lunch? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you will keep our listeners riveted, as always, no matter what the hour of the day or night. So today it's the talk on the Torah. Is that right? That's right. So we're going to go, we've, we've, we've done an introduction to the fear of the Lord, what it is. And then last week, we looked at the personal encounter with Christ, specifically focusing on Isaiah and Jeremiah. And so this week, we're going to be going, if you like, going backwards to the book of Exodus and um, Moses. So I'll march on into the teaching. Um, So listeners, if you wanted to actually uh, follow in your Bibles, I'm on the second book of the Bible, uh, the book of Exodus. I'm reading from chapter 17. The backdrop, if, as if you'd need to know, is the Israelites have been released from slavery. So they're now free for the first time in four centuries. And um, this would have been around about 1000 BC. They've been released from captivity in Egypt. They've crossed the, the Red Sea, as it were. And they're in the desert of Midian, and they're journeying towards Mount Sinai. They've taken supplies with them, but um, the supplies ran out very, very quickly, inevitably. It's worth bearing in mind there's about a million of them, if not more. And in chapter 17, it says, All the congregation of the sons of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. So the Israelites are walking, following the Lord's instructions through the desert. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. An interesting sentence, right? Now, always remember in the Bible that the names are never translated into English. So the the name Rephidim is a Hebrew word. And it basically means the place of refreshing. Uh, I think the root word is the, from Refi is Rafa, and it's to do with the source of a river, a water supply. Um, but there was, but I could be wrong on that one. I'm just doing that off the top of my head. Okay, there was no water for the people to drink at Rephidim, so they've arrived at this place called the place of refreshing, expecting to find liquid. Don't forget Moses. Moses had lived in this wilderness for forty years, so here's a familiarity with the place. And the people found fault with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses questions them, why do you find fault with me? But the people thirsted for water. Um, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children, our cattle with thirst? 
Now, there are many, many lessons to be learned as we journey through this scripture, many lessons. I particularly want you to think about your growth in the spiritual life, your journey of interiority. Uh, I meet many people in my travels who are struggling with a desert experience in their spiritual life. Uh, they found that their prayer life has gone dry. They're reading of the scriptures, the mass, their experience of the sacraments, their experience of marriage or relationships. Things have gone dry in different areas of their life. And they're complaining to the Lord. And they're saying, look, you know, we journeyed inwards. We followed the instructions. We went into silent prayer. We became contemplative and everything became dry. And they're complaining to the Lord. But the, the people I read who teach on the contemplative life and the interior life and the desert experience will all, they tend to have this same agreement. It is important to cultivate that dryness, not to reject it. And it's important to see the benefits of a dry time in prayer or a dark time in prayer, rather than to throw it off and to complain. In fact, complaining can completely shipwreck your interior journey. It's good to argue with God and get angry with God. Those things are not a problem. But complaining and moaning are really, really killers. They're killers on the spiritual life. If anything, we need to become Eucharistic people. And the, the word for Eucharist is thanksgiving. Be a people of thanksgiving. Now, these are just decisions. The difference between complaining and thanking is, a, is just a choice. I'm in this situation. I feel like complaining and moaning. But what word is going to escape my lips? Is it going to be a complaint to God or is it going to be a thank you that I am saved and I'm on the way to heaven? Even if the current situation is dry, difficult, testing, dark, barren, it's a desert. Now, if your interior life is a desert, there's loads, loads, loads of different things we could actually draw up from it. But let's just go for the core fundamentals. Number one, the interior life is never a desert. Okay. It might feel like one. That's important distinction, okay? It might feel like a desert, but it's never a desert. Even in the dry phases, even when God seems to have gone, God is never gone from your interior life if you're faithful to him. If you're going to the sacraments, going to confession, doing your daily prayers, etc. The only time you have to be worried is if you've got unrepented mortal sin. That's the only time you have to really be worried, seriously. If you're not repenting of serious sin, if you're, if you're going constantly back to a filthy well and drawing up the poison and you're constantly doing it without any need for repentance, without seeing the need for repentance, then you've got a problem. But even if a soul falls into mortal sin and they repent, that is not a cause for worry because the soul is still on the path of conversion and there's just still issues that the Lord is bringing to the surface to deal with. I was only reading Maximilian Colby a few days ago. I love some of his quotes. He talks about the, the sin. He talks about even if a soul should fall into serious sin, the Immaculata may have uh, allowed this in the providence of God so that the soul can be humbled. Now, John of the Cross echoes that. So there's a, that, that fall can actually be a springboard into a deeper experience of the life of grace. We should never think of sin as having the power to completely shipwreck our relationship with God. Okay, Only if we persist in it without, without seeing a need to repent. 
you see. So let's just take a very simple example, which is something prevalent in our world, which is pornography. Okay, I know many men and women who struggle with pornography. And I know of some from many years ago who actually didn't struggle with it because they enjoyed it. They wanted to watch it. They had no sense, no desire to repent of it, myself included, when I was 18 or 19. You know, my brother gave me some videos and I thought I, I was hugely entertained by them. So no need whatsoever to repent of them until I had my encounter with God when I was 24 and I had a heartfelt repentance of all that filth. Now, so there's a distinction, even in my own witness, between the person who is embracing the sin, loving it, and doesn't want to give it up. That's a soul in great danger. And the soul who might fall into it, they might have a fall, they might slip up, they might sort of give in to a temptation, and then they repent, go back to confession, and have a resolve. There's a massive a world of difference between the two. Okay, and this is where you're in the desert. When you're in this desert place, you have to remember the desert is not just about sand and sun. Okay, the desert is about serpents hiding in the sand. It's about temptations, trials, difficulties, tests. Okay, and one of the first tests of the desert with when we get with Israel is it does not appear there is any water. Okay, that's an important test. We go into this contemplative life and we think to ourselves, we're going into a place where there are going to be these beautiful founts, these beautiful springs of water gushing up, the prayer of peace, the prayer of quiet, the prayer of the sleep of the faculty, spiritual betrothal, etc. So the expectation is we're going to meet with God on this Mount Sinai encounter or this Mount Tabor encounter. And instead, God leads us into this place that we thought was going to be refreshing, but there's no water. And what do we do? How do we deal with that? Well, first of all, we recognize that the water is there. Okay, The place of refreshing, Rephidim, there was water there. The Israelites just could not see it. Okay, There is water in your desert place. You just do not see it. And when you go into prayer, it's worth noting that the only reason you can pray, the only reason you can sit in prayer when you're going through a desert or a dark time is because of the living water that is at work within your soul. That's the only reason you can persevere in this. Your choice to say, okay, God, I feel nothing in prayer. You've vanished. It's all dark. It's boring. It's like, you know, pulling teeth now. Um, but I'm still going to stay in this time of prayer because I'm committed to this relationship. And there's nothing going on. There's no consolations there's no visions there's no experiences there's no in fact there is an experience and you have to this you have to recognize this but the experience is a negative one it's okay it's a dry one rather than what feels like a wellspring okay so instead of having refreshing water springing up from within your soul you've got glorious sand <laughs> for stretching for miles and miles and miles so you have an experience Recognize that the experience is God, even if it feels dry, barren, difficult, and dark, okay? And don't complain, okay? Because this is the thing that happens with the Israelites. Take the example of the Israelites, right? God speaks to them in the desert through Moses. God will speak to you in your desert. He might not speak directly to your heart, 
but he will speak to you through the counsel of other people. And God speaks to Moses, pass before the people. This is verse 5. Taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the rod with which you struck the Nile, and behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. Water shall come out of it that my people may drink. So Moses strikes the rock. What's he striking? Well, there was a great book written on the wilderness by an evangelist called Jamie Buckingham many years ago. And um, he spoke about that wilderness where he went. He went into that <clears throat> part of the world. And he says, when they have flash floods, um, the valleys can fill up, fill up very quickly. Um, and the water dissipates quickly. But he said, <clears throat> what we learned is that the <clears throat> behind many of the rocky areas, there can be a reservoir of water hidden behind a rock. And the locals can actually see the mineral deposits in the rocks. And they know that if they strike the mineral deposit, water will come out. So they're striking the rock. And he actually wrote in his book that one of the places that they were led to was called the place of Moses striking. And so it's such a rock where there's a little reservoir hidden behind the rocky outcrop. You strike the rock in a certain place and the water comes out. Um, and Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. But the place was renamed. Okay. It went from the place of refreshing <clears throat> to a place called Massa and Meribah, the place of complaining and grumbling. Right. Now, let's apply this once again to your interior life. <clears throat> God has led you to a place of refreshment. It feels like a dry place. Well, actually, in this dry place where you're spending your time praying, where you feel nothing is happening, God is actually doing a great work. God is healing you. He is renewing you. He is transforming you. He is purifying you, cleansing you. So he's doing a great work in your soul in the hidden depths where you cannot see what he's doing. All right? And you can't feel what he's doing. All you feel is the dryness, the darkness. You feel that your prayer life has vanished, um, even though you're still keeping up the time. You may feel like you can't pray the rosary anymore. You can't pray the divine mercy anymore. You may feel like mass has become a chore, but you're still doing it all. Maybe spending more time in silence before God because it's just become impossible to do your devotions. So you may be just going to pray and you're just sitting there with God and feel like you're wasting your time. Okay. This is where you're in the place of Rephidim, but it can nudge into the place of Massa and Meribah if you start to complain and grumble against God. So the important thing at this time is to be thankful, be in that prayer. Recognize that the darkness and the dryness is the touch of God deep in the soul, and it is benefiting you and blessing you, and that God is at work in you. Okay? Um, now, I'll continue with the narrative unless Eddie wants to jump in at this point. I always like to give Eddie an opportunity. Yeah, well, certainly, but plenty to uh, to unpack here already. In the meantime, we've got some music, and this is Come, Now is the Time to Worship. Very appropriate.
This is Radio Maria and you're listening to Credo this afternoon with Derek Williams on his series, The Fear of the Lord. And today he's been delving deep into the Torah and all its reflections and talking about prayer and when our prayer feels dry and barren, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to handle that dryness? So, Derek, back over to you. Thank you, Eddie. So we've just gone from Exodus 17 with the people actually changing the name place because of their disposition of heart. So it becomes Massa and Meribah. Um, those of you who do the divine office, generally, the church meditates upon this incident every single morning in Psalm 94. So it's chanted in monasteries and convents all over the world and in the darkness of our little lounge as we're waiting for the sun to rise. The Israelites move on from Massa and Meribah, once again, following God's instructions. They're following God all the time, and God leads them to Mount Sinai. God descends upon Mount Sinai in fire and cloud and darkness, okay? And Moses is invited to come into the darkness, and God gives them the commandments. So God, kind of like, um, how would you say, God introduces himself, so the first one, God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the house of bondage. And then he makes it clear, you can have no other gods before me. Because in Egypt, obviously, there were multiple gods to worship. Gods with a small g, demons. Okay. Now God is saying, I'm the only one. There's only one, and it's me. And then he, expl- he, he talks about himself a little bit. Um, so he goes, uh, you shall not, and he explains, you shall not make yourself a graven image or in likeness or anything that is in heaven or on earth, beneath, etc. You shall not bow down to them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So in the first few commandments, God tells them what they're not to do, and then he gives them a reason. So with the Sabbath day, he says the, seventh, the Sabbath day is holy to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. Now, I always find this intriguing that a people who have been held captive in Egypt for several centuries, and thus who never have a day off, who are working from dawn to dusk, slaving away, no wages, they're just slaves, right? Um, and then the God calls them out of that life into the desert. You'd think that a day a week of rest wouldn't be a, wouldn't be an issue, right? Um, but it did, it became an issue. Then God explains why. He says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Now, God is introducing the people to the Sabbath rest and then explaining the reason why. is to remind them of him as creator. But that's not what I want to focus on here. God gives them the Ten Commandments. Okay? And then over in verse 18, when all the people perceived the thunder, lightning, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and stood far off and they said to moses listen you go speak to us and we will hear but do not let god speak to us lest we die moses said to them do not fear for god has come to test you and that he may put his fear in your eyes before your eyes that you may not sin so god has come to approach the people to try their hearts so that he can put his fear into them so that they can be broken away from the pattern of sin that they've been following when they were in Egypt with all of the idolatry, etc., that went on in Egypt. And he wants them to be a people holy to him. So 
the people are in the desert. There's no internet, no mobiles, no um, none of the 21st century trappings that we have that makes it so easy for us to access sin in terms of the media side of things. But recognizing that even in that desert at the foot of Mount Sinai with the presence of God on the mountain and the ground shaking beneath their feet and God being present to them, the people can still fall into sin. And yeah, a couple of chapters later, they make the golden calf. They, they fall into idolatry, which we might say to ourselves, ah, I wouldn't do that. Don't you believe it? Anything that you read in the Bible that the people did, anything that anyone else can do, we are capable of doing. The thing is, what breaks us away from this pattern of behavior? Moses says it. God has come to test you, to test, to test. What does it mean? It means to try us, to try our hearts, to press on the wound, you know, to test the weak point. See, okay, and, and, and the, read the purpose of that, the purpose of God pressing on the wound, like a doctor in a hospital, you know, think about you in hospital, okay? You got a bat, you got a problem in your um, chest, stomach area, wherever it might be. What does the consultant do? He presses. Yeah, thanks. Ed is just pointing to the screen. He presses. He's testing the area of weakness to see how things are developing. Is it worse? Is it better? Where is the pain? He's looking for something. Okay, this is God. God is probing. The soul, he's probing the heart. He's looking for the weak point so that his grace can heal and strengthen it. Okay, that's what he's doing. And we, what we might think is when we're on our day-to-day -day life, we might think to ourselves, oh my goodness me, why is God testing me in this way? Why is God trying me in this way? Why is God confronting me with my weakness? Why is God confronting me with my fears? that are exploding in front of me. Why is he doing that? Why would God do that? Because he's drawing the poison to the surface. He's bringing to your attention the work he's doing in your soul so that he can take these things, heal the wound, heal the trauma, heal the, heal the fears, and bring you into a new place of faith. Okay? Now, Moses says that the fear of him may be before your eyes. Remember the words from two weeks ago from Bernard of Clairvaux, who says, until we experience the fear of the Lord, we haven't really begun the journey. When the fear of the Lord is presented to us, when we experience that fear for the first time, Moses, the, the author Moses then writes, so that you may not sin. Now, this is one of the most important things in our faith journey, because the purification from sin in order for us to be sanctified is the absolute necessity for the soul to be made ready for eternal glory. That's, that's a work that has to be done. There is no, there's no getting around that work. It's absolutely vital. The only thing that separates you from the life of God is sin. That's the only thing. You have to remember that, okay? And sin has an effect. It causes us to have attachments to things. It causes us to have fears and anxieties and worries. It has all these fruits that I, I would use the word fruits, but they're not really fruits um, that cause that shipwreck our lives and cause us problems. The opposite side, holiness. What does holiness produce fruits of? It produces fruits of faithfulness. 
So no matter what we're going through, we're going to say, okay, God, I'm going to be faithful to you. Whatever you're, whatever you're doing in my life, I'm staying faithful. It produces fruits of trust. So when we're, when we're living in holiness, we're trusting in Jesus. We're recognizing that absolutely everything that happens in our life, um, no matter what happens, positive or negative, we say, Jesus, I trust you to sort this out, and he can invade our lives in a powerful way. Okay, So this is where God is testing us so that we will trust in him and we'll be faithful to him. And we grow in love, we grow in hope, and we grow in faith, the theological virtues. And the most important thing, what is the most important thing for us to grow in in all of this? I'm reading a great book called The Theology of the Interior Life. And in it, he says that our whole journey in faith is about the perfection of love uses the word perfection of charity, which is the real, the Greek word, but the perfection of love, that's the most important thing that is going to, uh, that we're going to grow in. So whatever God is doing in us, he's perfecting us in love and he's causing the fear of the Lord to grow in the soul in order that love may be perfected in us. And he does this by causing us to have this powerful encounter with him. Now, I'm just going to see if Eddie wants to say, he's always, he's always moving up to the microphone every now and then. I think, okay, Eddie, have you, what, what's going on there? Yeah, well, there's <laughs> lots of great stuff here that you're um, putting out and showing us. Um, a lot of it I kind of knew instinctively and uh, had been told. But again, it's nice to have it all in this kind of bite size. Okay, cool form that you've uh, you've managed to put it into i remember also this ties into a couple of weeks ago when we were doing this program i think the first one and we went over um the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom so that kind of inter inter That's right. relates to what you've been saying here it certainly does it certainly does and what i'm going to do in a few minutes eddie is i'm going to move from the book of exodus to the book of numbers but before i do that do we have a song that we can give the listeners to um, do we have a song is the let's go for it and uh, listeners, don't go away, because in a minute, I'm going to explain to you why God did not allow Moses into the promised land. There you go, folks. There's your cliffhanger. Don't you touch that dial.
All right, beautiful song there. And that is Worthy is the Lamb. And isn't that indeed the truth? And more of the truth coming right now from our main man, Derek Williams, always here to put a smile on our face and bring you some spiritual nourishment here on Credo as he goes through his new series, fairly new, on the fear of the Lord. And today he's been focusing on the Torah and well, we've been speaking about prayer and uh, the dryness of prayer and attachments and what we're supposed to do in these uh, situations and what God wants from us. So what was the cliffhanger that you left us on before the music break? I'm going to explain to the people why Moses was not allowed to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Right. I know quite a little bit about this because okay. um, in Rome, uh, uh, when I was uh, an actor... I had the chance to do a two-man play. I was I played Moses, and the other guy played God. So he was a Jewish. Okay. He was a Jewish yeah. writer. Had a lot of comedy in it, um, but it was just a two-man play. And uh, I learned so much about uh, the, the Jews at that period of time, forty years going yeah. through the desert, and that Moses didn't make it to the promised land. And he was a bit ticked off about that, wasn't he? After all, he after well, all the let's work. Ta- let's take a look at it because I'm on Numbers chapter twenty. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book of the Bible. The actual book of Numbers in Hebrew is not called Numbers. Uh, it's called the Midbar, which means in the wilderness, uh, because that's the that's how it starts, opens up in, in Hebrew. And the Hebrew names of the Bible are always after the first word in the book. So the Midbar is the name of the book in the Bible. And Israel are in the wilderness. So it opens up Exodus, uh, Numbers 20. The sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month of the year. The people stayed in Kadesh. So we always learn where the Israelites are at. So what is Kadesh? Because that is actually important. What does it mean? All right, it's because you know we looked at what Rephidim means, Massa and Meribah. Now we're at Kadesh. Kadesh is the Hebrew word for holy. So the people are at a place called holy and moses sister dies miriam she dies and is buried there and guess what there's no water (laughs) so they've come to a place called holiness and they're thirsty okay they've come to a place of holiness they're thirsty dryness in the desert and the people assembled against moses and aaron the two leaders and contend with them why didn't we die when you when you know in, in Egypt, why have you brought us into the wilderness? Complain, complain, complain. You know, wanting to go back to that fake consolation of Egypt, trying to make out that sin is actually more attractive than it is. Um, Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly. So I've gone to verse 6 of chapter 20. Went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. So Moses and Aaron do not try to solve their problem. Okay, they don't try. They turn to God. That's the important thing here. They go to God, they fill on their place faces, which I've done on plenty of occasions. You know, even when I was in Romania a month or two ago, I got to the Sunday morning and spiritually I was feeling in a very, very difficult place. And I was having to talk at the, um, the morning after the morning masses, the priest had asked me to speak to the people about um, the, the retreat topic. Um, and I went into a chapel that was underneath the church and I was prostrating myself before Our Lady, just begging her to help me because I felt in a real desolate place. 
And yeah, when I finished this time of prayer, which lasted for about an hour, um, I was I was I felt ready that I could talk to the people. But before that hour of prayer, I was not ready. So the, they fell on their faces. The glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord says to Moses, take the rod. So Moses is going to say, okay, here we go again. I've got the rod. I remember the last time we did this, just before we hit Mount Sinai. And he told me to take a rod. So where's the rock? Where's the rock I'm going to hit with my rod? And assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother. And then God says, tell the rock before their eyes. Or in other, in other translations, speak to the rock. Okay? Speak to the rock. Now, notice the difference. Exodus 17, God tells Mo Moses, strike the rock with the rod. Now, they've gone through the commandments. They've gone through, if you like, the Pentecost event. Because when, when the Jews are at Mount Sinai and they get the Torah, the Jews say that was the very first Pentecost. They say it's the birthday of Judaism. So they've gone through the Pentecost event. So Moses has now got, God is now calling Moses to an increase in faith. And he's basically saying, okay, you, you've got your rod in your hand, but I don't want you to use your rod. Now I want you to use the power of the word for a purpose. Now remember, the pre-Sinai event, Moses used the rod, and then they get to Sinai, and God says, I want to put my fear into their hearts to stop them from sinning. But the people backed off, so the fear of the Lord was not in their hearts. Consequently, when they came to go into the promised land, they were scared of the inhabitants, and they had to stay in the desert. So there was, there was a team of men who went into the promised land to reconnoiter it, only two of them said they could conquer it because only two of them were walking in the fear of the Lord, Joshua and Caleb. Now, here we are again with the water, with the rock. And it says, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them. And so you shall give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Moses took the rock from before the rod, from the Lord, Lord as he gathered him. And as they gathered, the assembly ran before the rock. He said, here now, you rebels. Shall we bring forward water? Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Moses calls the Israelites rebels, and yet look what Moses does. <laughs> so be careful what you call other people. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rod, rock with his rod twice. So he didn't just break God's rule. He broke it twice. Water comes forth abundantly. The congregation drank in their cattle. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me. Now, the, the, my translation says, to sanctify me in the sun, eyes of the sons of Israel. But actually, the, the better translation is, you did not believe in me, and therefore I was not able to manifest my sanctity in the presence of the sons of Israel. Okay. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to manifest his holiness in the presence of the people. What is the manifestation of God's holiness? It is the fear of the Lord. That is the manifestation of the God's holiness. Okay? That's how St. Bernard of Clairvaux feels it. This is where God reveals his holiness to us, and it drives sin out. It drives out other fears. The consequence of that 
is that the Israelites still had the fear of man in them. And therefore, they were not ready to conquer the promised land. If they had, if they, if God had manifested his holiness in, in their presence in them, then that other fears would have been purified and they would have been able to go forth and conquer. But because Moses struck the rock, he prevented God from manifesting his power. Seriously, folks, listen, pay attention to this, okay? In Fatima, now I might get the exact details wrong, but there was not an August the 13th apparition because the children were in prison. And Our Lady said to the said to the children when she appeared to them eventually a few days later, that because of the action of the governors, the October the thirteenth miracle would not be as powerful. So we we have to think when God is speaking to us and when He's calling us into something new, we have to listen carefully to what God wants from us. Okay, very carefully, you know. God says to Moses, speak to the rock. That's all Moses has to do. Speak to the rock. God would manifest his holiness. The people of God would be radically transformed by the encounter with God. The people of God were focused on water, not on God. And therefore, um, they're focused upon their, their stomachs, their appetites, their needs, rather than what God is going to do in their lives. Okay, and then and then God then says, "These are the waters of Meribah, where the Israel where the Israelite Israel contended with the Lord, and He showed Himself holy among them. So God showed Himself holy, but He couldn't show the Israelites as being holy to Him. Now, notice the place name has now changed. At the beginning of the narrative, the place was called Kadesh, holy." At the end, it's called Meribah, the place of contending. So you think about what's going on, okay, here. We can have exactly these issues in our own interior life. And that's the most important life for us, the interior life, because that's where God is to be found. The exterior world is transient. The saints have been teaching on this for thousands of years. The exterior life is changing, it's transient, it's it's um it's subject to decay. The interior life is subject to constant renewal and transformation if we're living in a life of grace. And that's the most important life. The life of grace is the most important life. Okay, and it's the one which is going to go on for all eternity. We all know that in let's say, let's say in 50 years, the vast majority of us are gonna be gone. Okay, the vast majority of us. Um, and there's going to be a whole new generation coming through. I often think to myself, okay, I'm 58 now. In 20 years' time, how many people if my generation are still going to be alive? Yeah? The important work is the work I do interior, interiorly. That's the important one, the hidden work, the work that God is doing within me. And that's what God is doing here. God is doing an interior work on the Israelites to prepare them for the promised land. And because Moses was disobedient. Moses rebelled against the command of God, and he accuses the Israelites of rebellion. This is actually a very common thing in the spiritual life. People often accuse other people of their own faults. 
it's a very common thing in the interior life. I see it all the time. Oh, Ed is about to eat his microphone. I fell <laughs> No, no, you're right. So basically, Moses was disobedient. And this was one of the reasons why he didn't make it to the promised land. Is that? This is the main reason. Probably the only reason. He actually says it. Um, he says it here. Because you did not believe in me to sanctify me in the eyes of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I've given them. Right. This is the very reason why. he Just because he, instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock twice. And that was a, and a that, he was, he shouldn't have done that, right? No, because it prevented God from manifesting his power. So Moses, not going by the act of faith, he went by the physical act instead of the act of faith. Yeah. Mm. And this is where we have to be very discerning in terms of, am I going by, is God calling me to an act of faith, an act of trust, or am I allowed to do something here that God actually wants me to do? Now, I've actually experienced this in my own life. Um, I can very briefly tell you this one. Um, I often, I, as you know, I travel as an evangelist. And many years ago, it's going back about 15 years now, I was giving a seminar in Nottingham. And I was praying over people, laying hands on people every single week because people were wanting prayer ministry every week. But um, both my spiritual director and I was talking to my wife and one or two others, they were all saying, instead of laying hands on people, just call God's presence down on people. Just call down the glory and the power. Don't lay hands on them. So the one week I said to the people, I think it was about the fifth week, I said to the group, um, I'm not going to pray over you this week. I'm just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and do whatever he wants to do in you. So I did it that week. The following week I did it, and I think the week after. And then I said to the people, what do you prefer? Do you prefer it when I call down the Holy Spirit or when I lay hands on you? And they said it's more powerful when you just call down the Holy Spirit. So there is no physical involvement from you. It's just the Holy Spirit at work. Yeah. Now, this was testing. I've done this loads of times before. It's always testing because there's always a, a desire to actually get in there and physically lay your hands on people. But even last Saturday, was it last Saturday or the week before? Um, maybe it was a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago. It was at the previous one. I think it was St. Ives. Um, I, was, I was doing an, an evangelical event. Oh, I can't remember now. Doing an evangelization event. That's it. Bang. Got it. Florida. Um, about a month ago. And I'd finished my teaching. I had 15 minutes left. So I just prayed for the Holy Spirit to come over these 400 people. And people were just absolutely blown away by the power and the presence of God. So, um, so we have to discern for ourselves when God is calling us to do something and to be involved or where he wants to actually step back and trust in his divine power to operate. And that often is something to do with the interior life as well. Sometimes when, we, when it comes to our interior life, we sometimes have to lay down the vocal prayers that we have become accustomed to and just sit in the presence, even when the presence isn't present. <laughs> we just have to be and let God manifest his power in our lives, however that might feel. Brilliant, brilliant. I think a lot of this ties into what we've been saying also off air as well about trusting in God and his, uh, and his providence. 
Yeah, yeah, I didn't. That that was unwittingly, but you know, the timing as always, mm. it just fits, doesn't it? Mm, mm. Brilliant, brilliant. Derek, I could go on easily for another hour, uh, probably without <laughs> even going off this subject itself, um, the Torah and the, the fear of the Lord. But uh, time is of the essence, especially in live radio. It's coming up for two minutes to three. We're a little bit yeah. flexible on the time, but how would you like to spend those last couple of minutes with our listeners? We're going we're gonna to pray, Eddie. We're going to pray for, for the people because we've all got our needs. We've all got the wants. So let me pray. Do you want to put on some background music while I pray? Why not? Here we go. So I'll just start the praying. So, Lord, I just thank you for what you revealed to us through your word. I thank you that you are constantly drawing us near and that you're constantly coming near to us. That constant drawing and pulling, pulling us, you coming near, can cause intense purification in our soul. It can cause suffering, it can cause pain, because you're ministering to us all the time. So Lord, I just pray for everyone out there who is in that battle of faith, who is in that battle of suffering, not knowing what to do with it, not knowing where to go with it, not knowing how to, do I accept this? Do I wrestle with it? Do I fight it? Do I get rid of it? What do I do, Lord? And I'm just going to pray for you folks and just say, Lord, just give them trust, give them faith. Increase trust in them. Increase that grace of abandonment so we can just abandon ourselves completely to God and say, okay, God, you've got absolutely everything in my life in hand. There is nothing for me to worry about because you are taking care of everything. And if I trust you, then you will pour out into my soul not only all the graces I need for my interior growth, but you will also take care of everything I need in this material world because it's no issue for you to cover my needs physical and spiritual. So Father, in the name of Jesus and by the intercession of our Blessed Mother, I abandon everything in my life and myself to you. And I just thank you that you take care of all my needs. And that right now, at this very instant, that rock has been split and the water is gushing forth. Because as St. Paul says, the rock is Christ and the water is the Holy Spirit. So I thank you, God, for manifesting your holiness in my life. I thank you, God, for grounding me in this place of Kadesh, holiness. And thank you, God, for placing me in this place of Rephidim, refreshing. And I thank you, God, for revealing yourself to me, even if it's in a way that is alien to me. But you're revealing yourself to me, and I trust in you. Amen. Amen. Derek, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> bless you, Eddie. God bless you. You're a national treasure over here. Oh, bless you, mate. Well, thanks Good again for a wonderful, wonderful talk. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And I'm sure I'm speaking for all our listeners across the airwaves and uh, everyone else who's listening in and uh, who knows your work. And you'll be back again, I'm assuming. Is it next Tuesday? We're running up to Christmas now, but... Um, yeah, yeah, I'll check my timetable. I'm sure I'm on next Tuesday. And what are we going to be looking at next Tuesday? I'm not too sure. Probably Jesus and the fear of the Lord. Right, okay. Possibly. That sounds interesting. Possibly. One that we, we can all relate to, I'm sure. So until then, 
wishing you a very peaceful and blessed week. Yeah, same to you, Eddie. God God bless. bless you all.